This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers? Hey! Let's drink some beer and talk some theology. Theology and beer. It's that time of the week again. Yep. We are one day away. Or you guys are one day away. Yeah, we are a lot of days away <laughs> from Fry Yay. <laughs> yep. Um, you guys are one day away at the moment. Me and Cullen, we're on Monday. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not even past hump day. <laughs> <laughs> um But we're here to talk about beer and theology again. Um let's talk about some beer first. Clayton actually has a beer that I really like that he wouldn't let me drink. Yeah. Because it's an IPA. <laughs> and Clayton's a hater. I bought it for a heavily discounted price today, <laughs> which is a whole other story. Um, yeah, I bought both of these beers um, earlier today, and I er, intended the one that Cullen's drinking to be for me. And then I was at the last minute, I was like, no, I'll drink the IPA today. I'm drinking the Spindle Tap Heavy Hands. Um, we were trying to remember if Cullen's drank this on the podcast before. We can't remember. I can't remember. I um, do really like that beer. If you guys remember, let us know. Um, I have. I know for a fact I have not drank this beer on the podcast before. So yeah, I'm excited. Um, have you drank that beer at all? I don't think so. I don't think I've had this one. Okay. So it's going to be a completely new experience. I have no idea what to expect. I'm expecting Centennial. Um, it's actually much more mellow than you would think. Really? Yeah. Um, it's not super hop forward and it's 8%. So it's not like super high ABV either. It's a good session sipper. Yep. Um, yep. That's the deal. It's, it's a good session sipper. And I happen to be, uh, drinking the American Pilsner blue Testament from back pew brewing and back pew is really cool. So they're just north of Houston. They're in Porter, Texas, just outside of New Caney. And yep. the interesting thing about them is they're called Back Pew Brewing because they actually bought a 13-acre site of an old church and mm-hmm. turned it into a brewery. It's dope. And it's like... <laughs> it's dope. Yeah. Pretty cool. So shout out. Hey, Back Pew. You want a partner? You at a church? We are a church. <laughs> you want a partner? Yeah. Shout Let's do out. the thing. Um, <laughs> hey, St. <Saint> Arnold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you want a partner? Let's do the thing. <laughs> Absolutely. You guys, start start hitting up these breweries for us. Like, for real, for real. Like, no, there are powers and numbers. Yep. S- start hitting up St. Arnold. Start hitting up Back Pew on Instagram. Carbot. Carbot. On on Twitter, on Facebook, on eleven Instagram. below. If you go eleven below, if they you wonder. go to the breweries, shout us out. Say hey, there's this podcast that I listen to. They shout you guys out every flipping episode. Yep. Um, and then give them the link. <laughs> yeah, help us out. Um, help us out. Me and Cullen, we've been trying. We've been doing our best. Uh, if you guys start doing it, overwhelmingly, yeah. they can't say no. There are over like 300 people, 300 unique people that listen to this podcast. If they all contacted a brewery, mm-hmm. we would get partnerships. Oh, yeah, we would. Absolutely. Um, so please help us. Please help us. It takes like 
not even 10 minutes to like look up a a brewery in our area and yep. shoot them a message on on their socials yep so if you if you want to support this podcast and you want us to keep this, this going, this is an easy way to do it without having to give your own money. Yeah, you don't have to give us a cent right now. You can, <laughs> you if, can you want. if you, you want. You can to, find our link do. in the show notes, but yeah. you don't have to. You don't have to. If you really want to help us, that's how you help us. Yep, and it will also help us because we will have some beers to drink too. Yep, yep, yep. Anyways, and, which I would like to do now. I would like to drink some beer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Papa. Ah, sorry. Cheers. Cheers. is mm. Mm. that actually is way more mellow than i was expecting yep told you it's it's really mellow for an ipa well it said heavy hand so i was expecting like super heavy like yeah. centennial like really citrusy bitter hops yeah it just but didn't have that no it's really well balanced and i enjoy it yeah, it's good. And this um, this is not um, a pills that I've had from Back Pew. It's really good. Um, What's happening? Yeah. Oh, that's why it's good. It's a pills and it's 5.2%. <laughs> like, I was like... We're used the- to pilsners that are like 3.2? 4.6, yeah, something. I'm like, man. Yeah, it's really... It's got an interesting... kind of freshness to it that is it like a well it's almost like they're using pilsner malt but they're using a um they're using a very prominent hop in it mm. oh it's, i love when when pilsners are it's like, like I it, love, it's hop forward i love hop forward pilsners yeah really um, good good job back pew i'm very impressed yeah, i will good be job, tap. i will be a re Repeat customer. Yeah, for sure. Um, we I will. am a repeat customer for Spindle Tab. But yeah, well, I will be a repeat customer for Spindle Tab. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alrighty, time to talk theology. Some theo. This is the perspectives piece of pints and perspectives. Um, so last week we had a really long episode detailing out probably one of. The the most controversial topics in theology. At least in our tradition. In our tradition. Um, Which, by the way, PSA, at the recording of this podcast, that podcast has not went live yet, so I don't actually know of any, if any at all, fallout that has come from that at the time of recording this. Yeah. That, so please know that. It, like, if there is fallout, we're not oblivious to it. We're just recording this one before that one actually goes live. Yeah. Um, just the way scheduling worked out, we had to. Typically, we don't like to do that so that we can address things if we need to, um, like we did last week, actually. Right. Um, right. But um, the way scheduling worked out, we had to do it this way this week. So, Cullen's right. We're not ignoring any of your concerns. Yeah. Um, they just they haven't happened in real time yet. Yeah. Um, so... We did detail out the issue of inerrancy um, and infallibility and fundamentally the, the, the glue that holds all of this together, the authority of Scripture. Yep. Um, literally, 
the way you should think about authority is the binding that holds your Bible together. <laughs> um, like that is the fundamental piece of yeah, the study that, of the Bible. Yeah. That contains all things authoritative. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, so that's what I would say is just like for clarification, in case anyone misunderstood what we were saying. Yo, look at what happened to this. Oh, it does it every time. When it, run, it, it does it every time one runs out. The front will start to do it here in a minute. Yeah, well. Um, that candle's dead. We got to get a new one. Yeah, we need a new Shout one. Shout out to our partners at Elijah Rising. Got to get a new candle. Yeah, um, our candle's burning out, y'all. Yep. I actually need a new one for my home. Yeah, I need a new one for my home, too. But anyways. Um, anyways, in case you missed it, I don't affirm the doctrine of inerrancy. Yeah, neither do um, I. At least, let me say it this way. At least at this moment, not I'm reserving the right to change my mind later. Um, but at the moment, I don't think I do. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think I need that reservation. Um, but I still think above all, the Bible is authoritative. 100%. If it's in the Bible, it's really important and you got to do something with it. And the Bible, even though I don't think it's inerrant, it's still the foundation of our faith. Yeah. The like, Wellhouse adapted version of the Wesleyan quadrilateral. 26%, 26 of those is the Bible. Yeah. The other three are 24.33333333333%. Another merch idea. Yeah. Yes. Put it down. It's in the notes. Another merch idea. I like it. Just no joke. Chart. <laughs> yeah, no joke. When we do launch our merch line for Wellhouse for all of our podcasts and everything, there's gonna be over like over like thirty items for sale. Yeah, I've already started like designing them and like detailing them all out and building a plan and working with some people who know how to do this. And yeah, um, when our merch when our merch goes live, we'll let you guys know. Oh, you'll know. We'll well promote in it advance. on social media. Yeah, and you'll everything. know well in advance. It. Odds are, at this point, unless we just blow up overnight, and even then, there's still, we're there's still, still a lot of work away. to do. Yeah, because we got to promote it and all that. My goal is for it to be launching around Christmas time. Yeah, perfect time. I'm, I'm totally... That's my goal. That. I didn't know this until just now. Cullen thinks he tells me things sometimes. <laughs> no, but that, that, that part's not really this is like pertaining a, a, to your job. So no, it's at like least a not tertiary yet. issue. Yeah, so uh, no, Clayton didn't know that. No, but I'm cool with that. But anyways, so yes, the Bible is still authoritative. It's still the foundation of our faith. It's sure. still the most important thing that we have about our faith. Yeah. I just don't think it doesn't have errors in it or contradictions or those kinds of things. And, but that doesn't mean that it's not authoritative or that I'm some liberal Christian that doesn't believe in the Bible or any of those kinds of things. It's not that at all. No, I'm actually very conservative when it comes to the Bible. For sure. Um, in some areas, even more conservative than I am when it comes to the Bible. Um, some yeah. very specific areas. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's an okay place to be. Yeah. And I also think that it's an okay place for where I'm at, right? Like, yeah. um, we're all just reading the Bible, right? Shout yeah. out Ben Blackwell. Everybody's um, just reading the Bible. We're all just reading the Bible. And so now that we've essentially rehashed 
the entire last episode. Let's talk about canonization. Yeah, a little bit about canonization. We're this is probably gonna be two episodes on canonization. It really should be probably because we need to talk about post it. all these books being written. That's an episode in itself. Yeah, about what the criteria is and the canonization process and and what books make it in and what books don't and all like that's its own conversation for sure. But. There is a conversation to be had just in the very forefront about two things that will take up this or will be our attention for this episode. Thing number one is the difference between the finished products of the Bible that we have today. Mm. Mm-hmm. So interestingly enough, a lot of people don't agree with us. I'm a hundred percent sure they're wrong, <laughs> but it's their own position I'm 75% sure they're wrong. Oh, I'm 100% sure they're wrong. Orthodox and Catholic people are still Christians. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that's where you were going. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you were going somewhere else. Yes, no, 100%. Yeah, there are a lot of people that don't think that. They are 100% Christians. I will, yeah, I will stand behind that all day long. Yes. And yet... Our Bible is both the newest and the shortest. That's right. Do do with that information what you want, dog. <laughs> yeah, interestingly. So the Catholic Bible, remember, the Catholic Church is the only church until the Great Schism at 1054, at which point the Greek East and the Latin West split. The Latin West remains the Catholic Church. The Greek East becomes the Orthodox Church. And that persists on until um, 1500s, 1514, 1517, somewhere around there, when Martin Luther sparks the Reformation, which births Protestantism. Protestantism. And the Protestant Church has a Bible that contains 66 books in the Bible. Of which, of which the New Testament is, I think twenty three, yeah, twenty three volumes. Like that. The Catholic Church has seventy three books in their Bible, yep. which is the main conversation partner for Protestantism because we're birthed out of the Catholic Church, not the Orthodox Church. Yeah, but yet the Orthodox Church has seventy nine books. In their Bible. Yep. Do with that what you please, my friends. <clears throat> I <laughs> I remember being um, that controversial student um, in youth ministry mm-hmm. that every youth pastor has had. Um, yep. I was that student. Yep. Um. I constantly had to question everything. Yep. Um, I don't know why. It's just, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. Yep. Like, um, but I was that student, um, and I had a youth pastor um, who was like, well, it says this in the Bible. And I was like, yeah, you right. But it says it that way in this translation of this canon. Right. Um, you're leaving out 
two different perspectives. Yeah. Two massive different perspectives. And he was like, well, that's what, this is what we believe. And I was like, that's fine. But what about these other people? Yeah, there's... And he, like, just kind of stumbled on his words. And I was like, I'm sorry, bud, but, like, this is just the truth. Yeah. It doesn't make these other people any less Christians. Nope. It just, they have different perspectives. And honestly, if you haven't read the Maccabees... You should go read the Maccabees. Missing a whole lot of Jewish cultural context. You should go read the Maccabees. The hammer. Mm. The hammer. That's a that's a whole deal. I mean, they he leads a Jewish revolt. Yeah. Super cool stories, too. It like, is cool stories. It's a cool story. It is cool stories. And actually, interestingly enough, the Catholic Bible doesn't have all of them. No, the Orthodox do. The Orthodox Bible they has all, all of them. Uh, but the, the Catholic Bible only has the first two. Yeah. Also, there are 27 books in the New Testament. I knew I was wrong when I said 23. I just couldn't I remember. I almost it. said 27. Yeah, I knew I was wrong, but I just had to look it up because I, I thought like, I, would, I know that's wrong. I thought I would trust your master's degree. No, no. Not in stuff like that. I, you remember so many numbers, but like my master's degree, I learned so many arbitrary things. Like, for instance... This is just some random thing that I like. It lives rent free in my head. No real purpose. It. I read it one time. I was like, "Oh, it's kind of interesting." Do you know how much a copy of the Scroll of Isaiah would have cost Paul? Oh, it, like his entire life savings, right? The equivalent of fifteen hundred dollars in money, according to two thousand eight. Yeah, dollar value. So, a lot. Yeah, like people just don't walk around with copies of the Bible. No, yeah, um, dude, so, and that's gotta blow that candle out. It's starting to smell in here. It's gonna be hot. Don't burn yourself. There we go. Got it. No fires. But anyway, so when it comes to stuff like that, I just got so much like nonsense junk living rent free in my head like the, check me on it yeah fair don't, enough don't be ashamed we will do i get i make mistakes <clears throat> so anyways we got all these bibles or all these versions of bibles going around which one's correct that's a huge yes. question that's a huge question we have to ask ourselves in that yeah cap that i'm genuinely not a hundred percent sure. I I firmly stand on, and I've thought about this since I was in high school. Since I asked my youth pastor that question, I've thought a lot about this over the years. The answer, which one is correct, is yes. I think yeah, that's probably where I would be, because, well, and I don't even know because i own a copy of the apocrypha the catholic version i've read pieces of it i've read the whole thing um man maybe i need to think about that i don't know that i would preach from it and you know i don't know why but i just there's something in me that's like i don't know that i would social worker yeah um changing hats here um it's a bias Probably. It's anything anti-Catholic. Um, well, but see, but no, I'm not there. No, no, no. Hold on. You say that you're not there. 
But we both grew up in a tradition that was anything anti-Catholic. And you haven't asked yourself the question, would I preach from the Apocrypha? Yeah. Until now. Yeah. So I've asked myself that question, but but the anything not Catholic bias is not, it may be ingrained in, it's a in sub, my past. It's an implicit bias. Yeah, but but I've deconstructed from it in a lot of very explicit ways. No, that's fair. Um, it's just maybe this is a piece that you need to revisit. Yeah, I'm for just sure. saying like social work brain, that's where I go. Yeah, because for me, like I hadn't really thought about it until now. And the reason I went there is because I was like, yeah, I don't know if I would either. Why wouldn't I? Well, social work and mm. social learning theory tells me that it's because I have a bias. <laughs> yeah, and that may be absolutely true. I Yeah, I need to think about that a little bit more. But like I've read the Apocrypha. I think it's valuable to read. Sure. But I've also read all the Apostolic Fathers. Yeah. I think they're really valuable to read, which sure. we'll, we'll talk about them next week uh, when we do the canonization process. Um, but I think this is a question that we, we as people of faith need to wrestle with. Yeah. It's not something we get to just ignore. No. Um, because there are three versions of the Bible out there. Yeah. That if you believe is God's breath. Yeah, it's inspired. Um, then you need to figure out which one you want to read, bro. Yeah. Um, this is this is also one of my functional issues with inerrancy. Mm-hmm. Mine too, actually. Is because if we believe ours is inerrant, then that means theirs is wrong. Yep, which means that they're not Christian. Well, I don't know if it means they're not Christian, but it could definitely lend someone to, to yield that. that result. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. That, yeah. That's what I mean, right? That that progression. Yeah. Well, and according is, to the Chicago statement, they wouldn't be. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they would be. Yeah. If you hold to the Chicago statement on inerrancy, Catholics and Orthodox, because they hold to a different canon, they would not be Christians. Yeah, I think that's probably true because they actually say in there. In, in the version we have today, mm -hmm. it is still the, without error. The Protestant canon is without error, which, which, what does that mean for all the Christians before Martin Luther? Yeah. <laughs> like, I just have to ask, where did they end up? You know, like, where did they fall? Yeah, that it that so does that, that mean that Martin Luther was the first Christian since Jesus? Like, yeah, and since Paul, like, yeah, come on, like, yeah, that that is my that is one of my functional issues with inerrancy outside of my theological issues sure. and the implications that I think it yields. And, and it's also important to, to know that whenever it comes to canon, um, Martin Luther wanted to take out James, which ended up in here. He also wanted to take out Revelation. He also wanted to take out Revelation, which ended up in there. Yeah. Um, I think I've mentioned that before. You did. On here. It needed um, to come back to well, and even, full circle in canon. Well, and even to all my, all my people who are like diehard Americans, uh, Thomas Jefferson took out Ooh. all the miracles. Yep. He's a deist. He's a deist. And so Thomas Jefferson's Bible actually didn't have the resurrection. And we've talked about deism on here before, but if you're... This is your first time listening. Essentially, what that means is that Thomas Jefferson believed that God was so supreme that he could not interact directly with the world. Therefore, the miracles, the resurrection, all of those sorts of things, a lot's 
of the conversations and interactions that God had in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament, he took them all out. Um, yes. Because God could not directly interact in the world. Yeah. The word you were looking for was transcendent. Transcendent. God is so transcendent that he can't interact with the world because that would require him to be imminent. Yeah. And so with with all of this, the the classic definition or, or illustration, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it is the classic, is that deism is like God is a grand clockmaker yep. and he makes a clock and sets it in motion. And then walked away from it. And walked away from it. And that that is the world. The world is the clock and God is the clockmaker. Yep. Um, um, which fundamentally led itself to its own canon as well. Well, it did. Yeah, it's Thomas's canon. Yeah. Which is not Christian. No. By the way. God, no. It's not Christian. Now, once again, I will say on here, I don't have the right to say whether or not someone is saved. Yeah. But I do have the right through criteria of the Christian faith we know them to say fruits. if they are Christian. Um, Thomas Jefferson is not an orthodox believing Christian because he does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Cue Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He right. is not a Christian. Moving on. So with that, canonization has been fought about long time. forever. Yeah. Long time. I mean, there and and let's talk about how the Bible is formed. Okay. I think I mentioned this last episode. These things called interpolations. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Did I mentioned these? Yeah, yeah. You talked okay. about it in, in Genesis. Yeah. Yeah, so Genesis one clearly yeah. has an interpolation. Yep. For this reason. Yeah, man will leave his father and mother. Well, what father and mother? You know, all these things. Yeah. There are also clearly interpolations in other places. There are a lot of interpolations in the letters of Paul. Yep. Now, the question is, are they organic interpolations or are they put in after the fact? Yeah. So did a scribe put them in or just because we know about how ancient letter writing would have worked, it would have happened in a public place because they don't have indoor lighting. And so they're not just locking themselves up in their offices and writing like we do. Yep. And it's kind of a team effort because Paul doesn't write. And so he hires scribes to write letters for him and there's multiple drafts and all these things. And so most of the time they do it out in a park. And so as Paul's dictating a letter, somebody can walk by and go, Hey, you should say this. Yeah. If, if you want to learn a little bit more, how, all of this plays out. Go pick up a copy of the Lost Letters to Pergamum. Um, oh no! You could pick up that one. Yeah, like, but that's a primary. Uh, well, that's it, it, working it, off of a primary text. It, it yeah. is working off primary text, but it talks a lot about um, scribes and and I. I ordered my scribe to copy this as a yeah to hold for a copy for me. Yeah, right. If you and do this and translate this if you actually want to know how this works the the academic book for it is written by randy richards oh and it's called paul the first century letter writer yep uh and it's his his scribes menuensis and something else i can't remember what the subtitle is if you if you don't want the academic source and and you're like me and you're just like oh hey i want to read something cool um, yeah, go pick up the lost letters of Pergamon. Interestingly Manila. enough, that's an academic source, but it, it is an academic source. But it's like, um, it's like telling a story at the same time. But yeah, yeah. Well, Randy is a good storyteller as well. But well, I'm sure. Anyways, so 
there are these things called interpolations. And they're all over the Bible. Yeah. They're just everywhere. And when you start looking for them, you can't not see them. Yeah. And I, I say this to people all the time, and they, they look at me weird, but we'll be talking about a biblical text, and I'll say, well, this feels out of place. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it doesn't fit with the flow of the story. Yeah. Like, it just, it just looks like it's been inserted there. So I had a, I had a professor um, just today. She's like, it's, it's an essay class that I don't think I should have to take, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think I should have to take it. I'm in social work. I don't need to know how to write essays. I need to know how to write scientifically. I'm sorry. But <laughs> in my essay writing class, I had a professor today say that if you just throw a quote in somewhere and don't explain it, it's just like a pimple on a forehead. It just sticks out. Yep. And that's what interpolations are like. It's like they a are. pimple on a forehead. They are. So, for instance, the story in Numbers 25, I mm. stand by it. That story feels like an interpolation that doesn't fit with the flow of the narrative. Yep. Um, and there are lots of them. Um, interestingly enough, I... I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure and settled on this, but I'm pretty sure and settled. Let me say I'm more settled than I'm not, but I'm not a I haven't fully decided on this issue. But I'm pretty convinced that a lot of the statements in the Old Testament about marrying foreign women are all interpolations. Because then we have stories that are very important stories that never make it out of the Bible about women who are foreigners who graft themselves into the community and end up, according to Matthew 1, as a part of the lineage of Jesus. But then yet, in a very focal point of the, New, of the Old Testament, Nehemiah commands mass divorce of all foreign women. Yeah. Which doesn't actually seem to be a thing which, which, before that. Yeah, which God did not command, by the way. Yeah. Right? Like that. So, because of that story, I, ne- I really need to think about your statement there. I need to, I really need to t- pull that apart. Well, and for me, if I settle there, I'm not 100% sure. I'm, I'm still reading and, and studying this. But for me, if they are interpolations, it was Ezra and Nehemiah who put them there. Oh, for sure. To try to validate their point of not marrying the foreign women. Oh, for sure. Um, which, as I said before, doesn't seem to be a thing in the rest of the... I mean, Moses, for crying out loud, is married to a foreign woman. Yeah. Rahab is a foreign woman. Bathsheba is married to a Hittite. That's a foreign woman. Ruth is a Moabite. Not only is she a foreign woman, she's an enemy woman. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's just all these very prominent people that are foreign women. And yeah. I'm like, I just, I think that could possibly be an interpolation. So that's, no, I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair perspective. I think if you start explored. looking, if you, if you begin to know what an interpolation is and, and begin to look and, and know what resources to go to, to ask the question, is this an interpolation? Yeah. Now, once again, that doesn't mean the interpolations are all bad. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul says, I, Paul, with Sosthenes, write this to you, 
I bet Sosthenes is interpolating the junk out of that letter. Oh, I'm sure. But I mean, Paul's how, approving it all, too. Yeah, I mean, how many times... So, for my administrative assistants out there, how many times have you been sitting in a meeting, taking minutes, and you summarize some stuff? Yeah. Right? Like, that's technically an interpolation in modern times. You, you summarize, well, maybe you add a little piece here to, like, create some context, right? Like, and all that goes back to the committee uh, at the next meeting or the, the whoever, right? At the next meeting, they approve the minutes and you move on, yeah. right? Same, similar process. Yeah, a little different, but yeah, pretty, pretty applicable. I think a, a better one would, for an interpolation, would be like, If your administrative assistant wrote an email or a letter on your behalf, oh yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. then gave it to you to edit, and you said add this, yeah, that's the interpolation. No, for sure, is for to sure. add this. I uh, yes, hundred percent. So, once again, the person who's actually sending the letter was cool with the interpolation, so it's, sure. it's fine. Like it was approved. It, yeah, interpolation shouldn't weird us out. No. We should understand that they're a part of ancient culture and ancient writing techniques, and it was acceptable. Yeah. Paul was too busy and too important to write his own letters. <laughs> like, Well, I think Paul wrote a lot of letters, but even just, like I said, talk about through drafting purposes yeah, 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 and those exactly. kinds of things. And, and as scribes are taking notes, they can't exactly remember. And so they write stuff in and fill in what they can kind of remember. And then Paul comes back and go, ooh, I wasn't really thinking that, but... Now you got me going this way, so add this in. Right. It's it's a very collaborative process, which yields itself to interp interpolations. Yeah. We shouldn't be afraid of them. No, absolutely not. I don't think so. They're they're not that. And we just spend a lot of time on interpolations. We're supposed to be talking about canon. Well, but it's a part of it because a lot of or it's at least a part of it because I think that's the issue of interpolations is how a lot of the books that don't make it in get booted out fair enough okay um is because they've got interpolations in that don't agree with something for instance you brought up the martin luther and james thing why did martin luther not want james in the bible because it he seemed like it he felt like it promoted a works-based faith and you know what martin ain't it it doesn't feel like martin's far off it very much so feels like James is saying, you got to work for this. Yeah. Is that really how James thought? Uh, is that know. interpolation? Is it is it something? But whatever it is, even Martin Luther thought that it wasn't 100% there was something in going continuity on there. with the rest of the biblical narrative. Yeah. And so I bring up interpolations because number one, they're they're the second part of a conversation about inerrancy. And and honestly, back to the whole thing about marrying foreign women, I may never one hundred percent settle on that issue. Oh yeah. Because interpolations are really hard to know. They're really hard to pin down. Yeah. Um not impossible, but very difficult to pin down. And so I may never settle on that issue. Sure. Um I may never settle on a lot of the issues of interpolations i mean i think i'm pretty 
I'm pretty convinced there are at least 11 interpolations in first Corinthians, but that both organic and non-organic, but I may never settle on issues of interpolation, but once again, as I said, to begin this, I know they're there, but they, they shouldn't scare you. They shouldn't scare you. And the Bible's still authoritative. That's right. Um, and so with that, Interpolations are, are a follow-up to the conversation of inerrancy, but they're also a lead-in into a conversation about canon. Yeah. Because there are a lot of things that I think probably... Well, let me say, there are a lot of books that I know that would be a value to be in the canon that aren't there. Yeah. And there are some books that I don't think are that valuable that are in the Bible. Yeah. Like we, we talked last week about Jude a little bit. Um, yeah. That's a weird one for me. It's a weird one. Why why it's there, I don't understand. And it's again, and I'm not advocating that this book be added into canon. I'm just saying that it feels very strange that Jude is there, but we also don't have the book of Enoch, which is quoted in Jude. Right? Well, like yeah, so that 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 feels very strange to me. Like Well, even just even just down to another thing, I think I talked about it before, but Jude has a very different interpretation of Genesis 19 than Ezekiel does. Yeah, which feels like, yeah. Jude's pretty apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. We already have an apocalypse in Revelation. No. Why did Jude get in? Why did Revelation get in and not the shepherd of Hermas? Yeah, why, exactly. Why did the epistle of Barnabas not make it in? It's authentic to Barnabas. Yeah. Um. That's the conversation we're going to have next week is why did these books make it in and why did some others that probably should have made it in or could have made it in not make the cut?